Oh God, we are grateful that you have sent and given up your son, your son's life in our place, so that in him we can claim, we can boast, we can take pride not on our works, not on our achievements or accomplishments, but on his alone. Because he is the sure foundation by which we are accepted. And now as your people, we open our hearts and ears to listen to your word. Speak to us, for we are ready to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now please remain standing as I read the uh, part of God's word, which is going to be the basis of our sermon today, taken from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd had been, that had been with him and he had when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. You may be seated. May God himself add uh, his blessing not only to the reading, but also to the understanding and obeying his word. Now friends, in 2008, Yasushi Takahashi, also known as Yasan, a Japanese man obviously, did something really uh, special for his girlfriend. Now you girlfriends, you always like if your boyfriend do something special for you, don't you? His girlfriend, Natsuki. Now Yasan wanted to propose to his girlfriend in a unique way, so he came up with an extraordinary plan. Yasan decided to travel all around Japan with a GPS tracker. This tracker recorded his journey and created a gigantic drawing that covered a distance more than 7,000 kilometers. Now imagine that. Before he started his amazing adventure, Yasan planned the route he would take. He even quit his job to make sure he had enough time. For six months, he traveled through different places in Japan, even going to new places he had never been to before. Sometimes he walked, other times he used a car, ferry, or bicycle to get around. When the son finally finished his journey, he ended up with this. Should be on the slide. All right. So... If you're listening this through audio, this is a map of Japan with the words marry me, heart, arrow, drawn over it. It's basically his six-month trek, 7,000 kilometers. This GPS track record was even recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records 
as the world's largest drawing using a GPS tracker. It's no surprise that Natsuki said yes. It was indeed a marriage proposal like no other. And some of you might go, oh, that's so sweet. But what we have today in our Bible reading is not just a romantic marriage proposal like no other. We have a parade like no other. In fact, if you've been following our series from the Gospel of John, today we have a king like no other. In John 12, in this passage, we see a glorious scene. This, this scene also, is also known as Jesus' triumphal entry. It's an extraordinary parade, like no other, that celebrates victory. Now, you know that Jesus has been a controversial figure. Some people love him to bits, which we saw last week, Mary um, anointing Jesus. Others hate him, the Pharisees, for example, the religious leaders. He said some um, thought-provoking, comforting, and sometimes really hard stuff. He's done miracles that confirms that he is the one sent by God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the king long awaited. The highest point of his miracles still fresh in everybody's memory, even mentioned in this passage, raising Lazarus from the dead. This, they think, at last, is the king we've been waiting for. This is a king like no other. This is a king with charisma, power, authority like no one else. In fact, one uh, commentator said this. One who could summon a dead man back to life would certainly be able to deliver the holy city, that is Jerusalem, from the yoke, from the rule of Caesar, the Romans. So as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he is greeted by palm branches, by shoutings, by singing and dancings maybe. Um, palm branches are a symbol of total victory as well as final peace. If you had been there, you probably understand how thousands come and cheer Jesus. Remember that they have been under Roman oppression for decades. In fact, around 60 years before the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire under Julius Caesar finally captured Jerusalem. And history records that the beginning of Roman rule was marked by the Roman general Pompey entering Jerusalem. No wonder the Jewish people, the Israelites, have high hopes for Jesus. Now is our time. This is the king we've been waiting for. And you know what? Jesus accepts that honor. He doesn't shush them. He doesn't downplay his messianic identity. How do we know that? <clears throat> well, by him riding on a donkey. You see, you don't ride donkeys to war. You ride war horses, right? Back then, donkeys are animals used to carry burden, but also donkeys are animals used to carry kings and royalties, important people. So by riding a donkey, entering Jerusalem, the religious, the cultural, the political center of Israel, Jesus is basically saying, yes, I am the king you've been waiting for. Yes, I am that greater son of David. Yes, I am the one whom the prophets have foretold centuries earlier. Yes, I am the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God to fulfill his purposes. It's no surprise that the crowd shouts. 
As we see in verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Notice that title, the king of Israel. So, culturally speaking, guys, Hosanna can just mean hooray. Okay? But the real meaning of the word Hosanna is save now. You are our savior, in other words. Well, we don't see it in this passage, but some of you may be familiar with this story. By the way, this among Jesus um, feeding the 5,000, and obviously apart from his death and resurrection, are the only two major events that are recorded in the four Gospels. So, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's apparently a response from the Pharisees in Luke uh, 19, there you go. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd uh, said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciple. Tell them off. They're making too much noise. This is inappropriate maybe. Okay, and Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, if these people who are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the earth, if I shut them down, the rocks will cry out. Jesus is not saying this literally, okay? But what he's saying is this. Guys, to the Pharisees, you can't stop me from doing what God is sending me to do. You can't stop the king from doing what God has sent him to accomplish. Even if nobody acknowledges me, if nobody acknowledges God, God will still finish my work. Sorry, God will still finish his work through me. That's the meaning of these words. If these were silent, the very stones will cry out. You can't stop God, God from doing his stuff, basically. So on the surface, based on what we've seen so far in the, the first 10 minutes of this sermon, it seems like this is a big win for Jesus, isn't it? In fact, by this point, you probably notice his enemies are about to give up. The Pharisees, they said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. All our attempts, our efforts to discredit, to badmouth, to uh, send or share hoax about Jesus, they all amount to big fat zero. Look, the whole world is, has gone after him. He's the new kid in town. But is that so? Friends, if you read the passage closer, you will find that both the crowd and the disciples, they don't actually understand what it means for Jesus to be king. Now notice in verse 16, sort of in the middle of the passage, his disciples, notice this, did not understand these things at first. They know something is happening. People are excited. People are praising palm branches and all that. Okay? There's something that I understand, but they don't fully understand. But when Jesus was glorified, this is um, John's shorthand for saying crucified, buried, dead, rose again from the dead, like we confess almost on a weekly basis. When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So in other words, and this is not the only place in the in Gospel of John, by the way, there are many places where the disciples can only understand what or who Jesus is only after he died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. But, let's go back to the story. Friends, I don't know how long the whole parade of cheering Jesus lasts. Maybe 15 minutes. 
maybe a few hours. But you see, soon these people, with all their palm branches and singing and dancing maybe, they will have to go home and have their meal and go back to their jobs, their families, and think of it. They're still, or they've been under the Roman rule, Roman oppression for years. They know how coordinated, how big, how mighty the Roman army is. But what does Jesus have? Yes, he's done amazing miracles and all that stuff, but where's his army? How much financial backing does he have? Which political party? Has he made alliance with other nations? Where is he getting his war horses, swords, shields, bow, and arrows from? How is he going to win? How is Jesus a king like no other? What makes him so special that we should trust him, follow him, and give our whole life devoted to him? You see, as glorious and as amazing Jesus' entry to Jerusalem is, this is actually the last Sunday in his life before he was crucified a few days later. This is basically the last week of Jesus' earthly life. Before he was risen from the dead, actually. While there's no mention whether the crowd who shouted Hosanna were the same as the ones who shouted crucify him. But the point is this. The city, Jerusalem, the city that first welcomed Jesus with open arms soon became the city that crucified him. Friends, Jesus is a king like no other because he is a king who died for his enemies. This is different to all other kings or even present-day rulers whose aim is to destroy, to get it off, or even back in the days, totally kill their enemies. Some years ago, I read a poem written by uh, Pastor Edward Shilito. The title is Jesus of the Scars, and the poem really touched me. I'm not going to read the whole poem, just, just the, last, the last four, um, four lines. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They wrote, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. What Shilito is saying that is that while the other gods or rulers or kings displayed strength, you, Jesus, in contrast, were deemed weak. They rode with triumph, but your path led you to a stumbling throne. And only the wounds of God can truly understand our pain and speak to us. And no God bears scars like yours and yours alone. Jesus indeed is a king like no other. One writer put it this way. The throne of Jesus had in view, the throne that Jesus sees from his point of view as he entered Jerusalem was not a golden chair, but a wooden cross. And his lifting up, being raised, was in order to receive shame and not honor. 
I'm pretty sure most of you know the comic Peanuts, drawn by the late Charles Schulz, who died in the year 2000. He was a very famous cartoonist. Did you know that Charles Schulz was also a very devoted Christian? He regularly teach, uh, taught as, uh, at his Sunday school. And recently I read um, what, what, what is called the philosophy of Charles Schulz. This is what he said. Just think of these questions. Name the five richest people in the world. You can probably name two or three, okay, five. Name the last five winners of the Miss Australia, America, whatever pageant, okay? Name 10 people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Name the last half dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actor and Actress. Name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. How did you do, Charles Schultz said. The point is, none of us remember the headlines of yesterday. These are no second-rate achievers. They are the best in, the in their fields. Wealthiest people, Miss America, or Miss Australia, whatever that is, Nobel Pulitzer Prize, right? Academy Award, World Series. They're the best in their fields, but the applause dies. Awards tarnish. Achievements are forgotten. Praises and certificates are buried with their owners. Shoes then went on. Now, here's another quiz. See how you can answer this one. List a few teachers who helped your journey through school. Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated and special. Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. Easier? Hopefully it is. The lesson, the famed cartoonist said, the people who make a difference in your life are not the ones with the most credentials, the most money, or the most awards. They are simply the ones who care the most. Jesus is a king like no other. Ultimately, he cares the most because he died for us, for his enemies. Now, how does that work in your life? Now, one of the books that I've been reading and enjoying recently is a book by Jamin Goggin and Carl Strobel titled The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb. Now, this is not martial arts manual, by the way, guys. It actually talks about the two different ways in which um, it talks mainly about church leadership, but I, I, I think we can apply it to individual Christians. So I sort of adjusted their comparison by and I hope that at, towards the end of this sermon, this will help us reflect on the way which we have understood the gospel, understood 
that Jesus is our king. Now the way of the dragon, let me just give you a spoiler beforehand. The way of the dragon is basically not the way how you would run your life as a Christian or even as a church leader. And the way of the lamb, obviously, is the way of Christ. All right? Now, let's look at this. The way of the dragon. Sorry for the small fonts, but uh, I can give you the slides later. The way of the dragon, let's start with that, use the church as platform for personal fame, fortune, and influence. So you go to church, you become of church to exert your influence, to show that you are someone. The way of the dragons views ministry as an arena of performance where some win and some lose. Or you always look for the number one. The way of the dragon uses people of the church as tools to accomplish their big dreams whether it's ministry, career, life, or others. The pastor or the leaders in the way of the dragon uses prayer and care, sorry, relegates prayer and care, that is, um, um, delegates the heart of pastoral work to lower, quote, unquote, lower level staff because they don't have time to waste. They're just too busy to to care and pray for their flock or other people. The way of the dragon views other churches or other Christians primarily as competition. Let's look at the way of the lamb, following the path of Jesus, the king like no other. The way of the lamb gives their life for the sake of the church regardless of what they gain. It's not calculating. It's not saying, what, what can I get out of it? Is this Instagrammable or not? <laughs> if I'm for some people anyway. The way of the Lamb views ministry as an arena of love and service, not about winning and losing, or losing. The way of the Lamb embraces other people, their congregation, as people to be known, people to be loved, not as tools to be used for their own ends. The leaders, and I'm not just talking about the pastors here, just anyone who who are leading in some leading capacity, views prayer and care as the centerpiece of their work rather than in an interruption. The way of the Lamb sees other churches or other Christians not as competition, but fellow shepherds or fellow believers on the journey whom they need for encouragement and wisdom and who they are called to encourage and love. Friends, I believe this is one of the main, if not major, application of Jesus entering Jerusalem, the king of Israel, on a donkey, with humility. Because within the next few days after this magnificent event, another more bigger event will happen because the king will be slain. What makes Jesus a king like no other? He's a king like no other because he's a king who died for his enemies. So let us follow him as the servant king, as the lamb who is slain for us. If we have been following or using or living by the way of the dragon, whether consciously or not, let us look to Jesus and know that through him we can walk in the way of the lamb. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, not only you are the king of Israel, you are also the king of the world, indeed the king of the church. 
and yet you are not, not a proud king. You are not a tyrannical king. You are not a manipulative king. You are not a calculating king. You are righteous, glorious, majestic, humble, and holy king. The only king like no other who is worthy of our full-hearted devotion, adoration, and praise. Please forgive us if we tend to follow the way of the dragon, the way of the world, when we think about ourselves, other people, churches, and opportunities. From this day on, as we are reminded of your son's death and resurrection, his love for us, help us to follow him, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sin of the world. Amen.